Welcome to Becoming Boundary, the podcast that teaches you how to say yes to the space you need and the connection you crave. I'm your host, Krista Resnick. I'm a master life coach and boundary expert for women. I'm also a sought-after speaker and mother to three adultish sons. It wasn't that long ago that I was a boundary disaster. My time never felt like my own. I couldn't set a boundary and speak my truth. And my most important relationships suffered greatly. Fast forward to today and I've successfully coached thousands of women to heal from their people-pleasing patterns and step into true freedom and confidence. I created Becoming Boundary to help you do the same. Be sure to tune in for tips and tools from me, interviews with other incredible coaches and therapists and speakers, plus one-on-one live coaching calls and so much more. If you're ready to start setting healthy boundaries so you can create the space you need and the connection you crave, then you're in the right space. Welcome back, everyone. Today marks the 100th episode of this podcast. I literally can't even believe I'm saying that. I have hung in there for 100 episodes. I just am so, so excited. And if you've hung with me for a while, you know that this podcast has seen a few different iterations as I have changed and shifted and grown and found my own voice and really pushed my own edges out. And I just appreciate you being here with me through it all. And I mean, a hundred episodes is just such a a feat in the podcasting world. Like podcasting is, is no joke. It's no joke. I had no idea what I was signing up for when I had this vision of creating a podcast. And I think sometimes that is one of the best things that we can do with our life and with sometimes decisions that we feel are right in our business is approach them with sort of this naivety in mind. You know, like I didn't have any idea what made a good podcast, if anybody would listen. I I knew none of the answers. I knew none of the how, but I jumped. I jumped and I was scared and I was terrified. I actually sat on this podcast idea for, I think it was, it was at least a year. It was at least a year, if not longer. And I actually want to do a podcast. I was going to, I was going to incorporate it into this introduction, but I think I'm actually going to record a separate segment. So be on the lookout for this on developing self-trust because it really took a lot of self-trust to get this podcast up and out the door. I had every fear you could possibly imagine. What if I get a bad review? What if nobody listens? What if I don't actually like it and then I put this thing in the out in the world and then I'm committed to it? What if people don't agree with me? What if I don't know what I'm actually talking about? What if nobody wants to be a guest on my podcast? You name it, I had the thought and the fear. But I pushed play and I did it anyway. And I've been pushing play ever since. And I think that's something to celebrate. So what are you celebrating today in your life? 
doesn't matter the size, could be something teeny tiny, just a baby, baby step that you took toward a dream, a vision. Could be a massive step. You know, maybe you're somebody that likes to just cannonball right into the deep end of the pool. What is something that you are celebrating? A step toward something. We do not take the time to celebrate enough. And so I just invite you to really think about that. I invite you to celebrate something in your life, whether it's, you know, maybe you took your child to the park and you were really, really proud of how present you were with them. Maybe you're celebrating the fact that you finally got those errands done that you've been putting off for three weeks. Maybe you're celebrating that you took off work early and you just sat out in the backyard and read a book and it felt delightful. Maybe you're celebrating the few workouts that you did this week that you committed to and you showed up for yourself. Maybe you're celebrating a goal that you had around nourishing yourself with beautiful foods. I mean, we could be here all day just naming all the things that potentially we could be celebrating, right? But the point is, what are you celebrating? Are you celebrating? Really important that we don't just run from thing to thing to thing to thing and never take that time to celebrate. So today I am celebrating 100 episodes of the Becoming Boundaried show. I could not be more grateful to get to hang out with you on a weekly basis and deliver live coaching sessions, expert speakers and topics and things to help you on your healing and growth and boundary journey. It is such a delight and it is such an honor. And I never take that lightly. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. 100 episodes. We did it. All right. And like I said, this is spurring in me this desire to create a, a upcoming podcast on self-trust because boy, did it take some self-trust <laughs> and even pushing through the self-doubts, right? Like, okay, I, I, hear you, I hear you doubts and I'm dipping my toe in anyway. So I think that will be of service to, to many of you because we all struggle from self-doubt from time to time. All right, today's episode is oh, such a great one. It's, it's our summer series. So we're doing once a month, I'm bringing in an expert speaker, um, expert guest on the topic of anger. Anger is such a beautiful and potent and powerful emotion. And when we don't know how to express it, when we don't know how to release it and we just suppress it, it can really, really be dangerous because it can wreak so much havoc in our life, not only physically, like from a physical perspective, but we just leak that energy out into our relationships, into our businesses, all over our colleagues, our friendships. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in today's episode with my guest, Michelle Ferris. So Michelle is a licensed psychotherapist. She's an anger management specialist, author, and course creator. Michelle helps codependent people create healthy relationships without sacrificing their big hearts. In her private practice, Michelle is known for teaching simple yet powerful skills that build, here it is again, self-trust and healthy 
relationships. Michelle has written several workbooks, online courses on building relationship skills, and she's been featured in Psych Central, Bustle, Your Tango, The Good Men Project, The Daily Positive, Boss Moms, and various mental health podcasts. Michelle can be found with a Vente Latte from Starbucks while working on her next course. So Michelle and I dive deep into this episode on anger and the connection between anger and codependency. And I know that you are going to absolutely love this interview. So friends, here is my conversation with Michelle Ferris. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so honored to have you here and to have you teach us all about anger. And I know we're going to dive even a little bit into codependency as well. It's actually Mm -hmm. one of my favored topics on Mm -hmm. this show. So I I know this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, I'm excited. It it is mine too, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So talk to us a little bit before we do anything else. How a little bit about your journey or how you ended up sure. to, to really claim the space of being, is it anger management? Mm-hmm. Anger Expert? management specialist. Yeah. yeah. I'm also a psychotherapist, but I have another certification in that. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your own personal journey, if you would. Sure. So, uh, ironically, when I was about 12, I told my mom, we need therapy. <laughs> and she actually said, yes. So her and I did a little stunt of therapy and I fell in love with it. And I really, I was always a kid that thought about feelings and wanted to figure my family out, even though I couldn't. Um, So by the time I was an adult, I knew psychology was going to be what I wanted. And, uh, but anger was definitely something I was like, oh, I'm not angry at all. But I grew up with someone who raged. So what I decided was I thought, it would be better to not have my anger at all and just completely disassociate with it because I equated anger with rage. And when you grow up with someone who rages, that's what the person typically does is they don't see anger as healthy. They see it as full-blown rage because that's all they see. Uh, So in my own recovery process from codependency and, and food addiction that I started in my early twenties, uh, I think I was about 30 when I started realizing I'm actually angry. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of a process for me to look at because I wasn't a rager. I was a stuffer Yeah, because I was codependent. So I would please you to death because it was way too scary to say, hey, you hurt my feelings. So I would opt not to, but then I would be resentful as I'll get out because I couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. I so remember watching my mom, same Uh thing. It was like stuffer, but would lock the jaw and she'd get all contorted in the face. And my red flag was when I started doing it. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, it has to go somewhere. Right. Has to go somewhere. Has to go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you started really seeing the red flags in your own life of, Hey, I Mm -hmm. think maybe I'm angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the stuffing was making me dishonest in my friendships. So it would literally, I would hold on to the hurt for 
months and months and years until I finally couldn't stand it anymore. And by the time I brought it up, it was so old and rotten that it didn't go well because I couldn't control my emotions at that point. So I was all over the place and I was hurtful and, you know, it it just made me realize, okay, just because I don't rage doesn't mean I don't have an issue with anger. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful statement. You know, you, so you held on to things until mm-hmm. it was kind of old and crusty. Oh and yeah. So well, do you notice, cause this is something that I do find with my clients mm-hmm. and it was something that I actually saw in myself was that I was avoiding people. That's how I, yep. yeah. yeah. So yeah. it wasn't that I would bring something up after, you know, 35 years <laughs> being a little tongue in cheek, but yeah. I would, I'd get a text and I'd go, mm. I'd kind of, yeah. right and want to avoid. Yeah. Well, that's much easier. I would okay. I would put off the conversation and put off I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow and I just couldn't do it because I was scaring myself silly. Uh and that's another part of it is we actually, you know, when we're dealing with our anger, we have to realize that, you know, most likely the other person is not going to rage back at us. If they do, then obviously you need a, a different game plan or you may decide not to talk to them at all because they may not be safe. So part of managing anger is also to understand who's safe and who isn't to, to be able to be honest about it with. Yeah. And how do we determine really who is safe and who's not? Because as, yeah. as codependents, and, and we'll get into how you define codependency. I do want to go there because I think it's important, but sure. as codependents, often we're, we're so trusting of everybody, then Mm -hmm. how do we start to build that internal, Mm -hmm. I guess, alarm bell that maybe this isn't a safe person? Well, even in my early recovery of codependency, I knew who was safe and who wasn't because they were more prickly. They were more angry. They were angry, not necessarily at me, but in their own life. And I could see they weren't, they had a meanness or an you know, an edge to them. And those were the people that I was scared to death of uh, because I didn't know how it was going to go. But the other piece is that if you come at them in a healthy way, a lot of times that will help make the bridge and you can actually have a healthy conversation and the angry person can actually hear you. But the other thing is start small, you know, like you might, you might just say, oh, you know, I kind of disagree with that and then see how they respond. Like just, just do a carrot, you know, just a little comment to see if they, that's, that's, you know, you're not, if they, if they react really intensely that then, you know, okay, this person isn't really safe enough to go a little deeper with. Yeah. Yeah. So describe to us what codependency actually is? How do you define it? Because there are some different variations. I mean, all in all, they're sort of the same, but there are some variations. So how do you define, Michelle, codependency? So I define it as when a person, it's a relationship pattern where you overly focus on others at your own expense. But I also want to add, because I just listened to your interview with Ross Rosenberg, which is so wonderful, uh, that there is that, self-love deficit component where I need you to fill me up because I'm not enough. And that's why we help fix rescue other people, because that's how we find our value, because we don't know 
how to esteem ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my guess is that you would say most of this, if maybe not all of this is at a subconscious level. So we're not actually running around saying, I need this person to complete me. Like, you know, Jerry Maguire show that wrecked us all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Although when you get into recovery, that I think is the slap in the face spiritually, because you realize, oh my gosh, I am literally chasing other people for love. But when we're doing it right, we don't, we don't realize that because a lot of times as women, we're cultured to give, 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 and put ourselves last, which also contributes to anger. Yeah. I remember that chase that you're speaking of and just Mm -hmm. being so tired because I was constantly, the word hypervigilant comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. We take the emotional temperature of the room to make sure it's safe, but that's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So hypervigilance might be one of the traits of a codependent. What are some other traits so that listeners can kind of start to maybe identify for themselves what they can be looking Mm -hmm. for? Uh, Putting themselves last, never saying no, uh, feeling guilty, especially if other people... One that I find really interesting is that when your loved one is upset, you get anxious. Mm. Because all of a sudden... It's this desire that, oh my gosh, if that my loved one is hurting, that's either my fault or I have to be responsible for it and fix it. So there's not a good boundary between your emotional experience and my emotional experience. It's very enmeshed, which is part of why the codependent has such an unhealthy dependency in their relationships because they they don't have a strong sense of self. Yeah. I remember, and I'd like to keep going and talk about more traits, but just to share a personal story, I remember being that person. Like if Mm -hmm. my husband wasn't happy, it must be my fault. I did something wrong. And I remember when I started stepping my toe into this work a little bit, and I started really showing up differently and honestly taking responsibility and not showing up so much as a victim. And I remember he looked at me and he's like, who is this woman? I really like her. I really like her. It's so nice to not be married to somebody that acts like a child. And that was so, and I know that sounds so funny. That was so empowering to me. Like, oh my gosh, I have been acting like a child for 38 years. Well, of course I would be a challenging person to be married to. Not that he wasn't challenging in some aspects as well, but that was such a pivotal Mm -hmm. moment for me. Well, and that's what codependency is, is we don't get our needs met growing up. So we look to them outside of ourselves in our relationships and our job and our volunteer positions, anything that isn't us. And then at some point we hit a wall and go, okay, either my, I just got fired. I just got divorced. My partner left me. And then you're left with, okay, I can't keep doing this because my self-esteem literally is walking out the door. And, you know, that's when recovery is like, Hey, (laughs) time to start a new life. It, it finally is an option. Absolutely. But you have to get in enough pain to see that, you know, you're actually needing to change. It's not the other person that needs to change. And that's where the codependent often gets stuck is it's the alcoholic. It's the narcissistic person that, you know, they're really sick, but I'm okay because look at everything I'm doing. Yes. Yes. I just talked to a woman the other day that really wanted, you know, my services, but I just don't know that the pain is bad enough yet. Uh-huh. You know, we've got so many yeah. external things that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can make 
life look and feel a little polished. Right. So that internal angst and suffering isn't quite enough yet. But, you know, at some point, I think, Michelle, and I don't know if you'd agree or not disagree, but we've got to get really serious about our own fulfillment and satiation and vision and purpose. Right. And well, that's why the pain is a great motivator. You're right. Yeah. Because nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to fix my codependency today. They don't, they don't, they say, oh my gosh, I can't let go of this person. It's killing me. Where can I get help? Yeah. You know, that's just human nature, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you. Absolutely. So traits again, inability to say no, Mm -hmm. hypervigilant, guilt, people pleaser, people pleaser, uh, definitely wants to avoid conflict. And you know, the one that was really hard for me that I, it took me a long time to realize was you know, a lot of codependents are dishonest. They don't, they're, they're cash register honest, but they're not emotionally honest because it's too scary for them to say, you know, what you just said really bothered me Yeah, because that's too big of a risk. So there is a level of um, dishonesty that needs to be addressed in some point at some point in recovery. That's actually one of my, I love that you brought that up. That's one of my favorite definitions of mm. boundaries. I teach a boundaries, kind of a, kind of a basic boundaries workshop Yeah. And right from the get-go. I share with participants. I don't really have a, so much of a working definition because I don't believe there's a right definition. I think we can play with a lot of definitions depending on where we're oh, coming yeah. to our boundaries. Mm-hmm. And my favorite definition by far is boundaries are about being honest. They're about, oh, I love that. Who, yeah. With who we are, mm-hmm. with what matters to us, with our right. feelings, with mm-hmm. what we need. And they're also about being honest with what's our capacity right now in this season. Right. Like I can't maintain that in this season of my life. So boundaries are such a direct reflective of honesty. Like you said. Yeah. I like to think of them as what I choose to participate in and when I choose to leave, because that's the most powerful boundary I have. I can't change you, which is where I think most people go is if the, how am I going to set a boundary? They're still drinking. They're still yelling at me. Well, it's not about what they do. It's about what we do. Yeah, exactly. They're always about the things in which we have control. Right. Right. So you touched on it. I heard you go there a little bit, but talk to us about how someone becomes codependent because it's not like Mm. somebody wakes up at 40 years old and just says, I think that sounds like a great life to become a codependent. Right. (laughs) And by the way, like I I do, and I always say this when we're having these types of conversations, I'm not somebody who's a huge fan of labels Uh and in the same breath, I think for me personally, I actually found the label for a while really empowering because then I was able to understand what actually was going on beneath the surface and where I could go to get support and begin to heal. Right. And just because like I identify as a codependent, that isn't all of who I am. That's a part of who I am. But if I don't claim that part, then I'm missing a whole uh, side of myself that really needs healing. So, but I agree. I think some people do get tripped up in the label because they feel like it's negative or we're judging them. And really that's not the intention at all. It's more to understand the symptoms you're having so that you can get relief. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how does somebody become codependent? Mm -hmm. 
Well, usually they come from a family where the parents have some level of dysfunction, addiction, mental illness, maybe a parent is raging or has depression. Uh, because, you know, when you think about it, parents don't get educated on how to be parents. It's a, and it's a really hard job. So a lot of times a parent doesn't know how to validate a child, doesn't know how to actually um, understand child development, because what people don't realize is that kids need to be self-centered in order to grow up in a healthy way. They need to look at themselves and say, okay, what do I like? What do I not like? How do I do school? How do I make a friend? I mean, it takes a lot of energy to grow into a healthy adult. But most parents don't really recognize that as a process because they didn't have that growing up. So they get messages like, be quiet, take care of your siblings, do well in school. You know, I don't want to hear it if you're sad. Let me give you something to be sad about. Anger is not okay in this household. You know, you don't get the choice. The adults get to decide. So there's a lot of messages like that that especially for women, but men too, where they learn to put themselves last and they don't learn that it's okay to trust their own perceptions. Like if daddy's drinking and nobody talks about it, the kid feels crazy. Like, oh my God, nobody's saying that dad is drunk every night. And that erodes the self-trust that we need to develop into healthy humans. And the lack of self-trust, I believe, is a real major component in codependency because that's what sets us up to see other people as our answer because if I don't trust myself I'm going to look to you and you got to give me the answer so that I can be safe and I can be okay and you know years and years of that is hell it is hell (laughs) (laughs) I can attest to that like you can't even believe, like you are speaking my language right now. I often share with people that, and my husband would always go, you constantly are like putting somebody on a pedestal. And then you're like shocked when you find out that. that Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a beautiful place, place to be able to say, and I'm on the pedestal right next to him (laughs) and not like, not ego, but just like you're enough. I'm enough. We all matter. Like everybody is here to, to matter. Right. Like we all like, that's just it. And it's not because I did anything today. It's literally because my eyes popped open. That's why I matter. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm enough. That's why you're enough. That's a beautiful thing to be able to own that. But there was a day where I sure couldn't. Yeah. Well, that's really part of the process is how do you start to allow yourself to want, to need, to be enough without doing or giving or, you know, focusing on what other people need from you, you get to actually look at, well, what do you like about yourself, you know, and how can you start to build that part of you rather than always being externally focused? Yeah. Yeah. I think even sometimes as silly as this sounds, I'll often share with clients, sometimes the things we do are, they seem silly, but even Mm -hmm. little things like on Sunday mornings, I like jazz music while I make breakfast and uh-huh. not only any old jazz music. I like Frank Sinatra. Oh, I love it. It's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. It's something that my children mm-hmm. will remember Sunday mornings. This is who mom was. She got up, she played Frank Sinatra while she was cooking whatever in the oh. kitchen. And we always had that going in the background. And that's just part of who she was that mattered mm-hmm. to her. That uh-huh. might seem super simple, 
and silly, but just claiming stake to that. It's part of who I am. I own that. That's lovely. And it's a lovely tradition to pass on to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That too. That too. Okay. What's the connection, Michelle, between Mm -hmm. anger and codependency? I mean, we've already touched on it somewhat, but. Well, codependent people are not going to necessarily feel comfortable admitting they're angry or they're hurt. So the codependent is going to relate more to words like I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, or I'm resentful. The resent, the resentment is a form of anger though. Yeah. Uh, but the codependent is going to stuff it. So they're going to stuff it and that's going to leak out into criticisms, getting defensive, uh, using the silent treatment, uh, covert blame, you know, very passive aggressive. Uh, like if somebody says, well, can you help me today? You know, move some boxes. Well, don't I always? Mm. So it's like, I'm saying yes, but my tone is mad. My tone is saying, piss off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like you. Stop asking me. But the codependent can't own that. The codependent can't say, you know, that just doesn't work for me. So they say, yes, 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 yes. And then they're stewing. And, And eventually the codependent can rage, but it takes a lot for them because they're so good at stuffing that anger. Yeah. Yeah. Anger is taboo. Why, why do we treat anger as if it is such a negative taboo emotion? Well, it does get a bad rap. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, it's funny cause I didn't directly hear this message. I know, but I know subconsciously I heard it's not okay to be angry. Like the one person that raged in my family, they could be angry, yeah. but not me. Like I was like, no, 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 no. And I didn't want to be. And as women, we get taught, be nice, Mm -hmm. show a pretty face, take care of your siblings, take care, you know, be quiet, get good grades, stay in the box. But the other thing that happens, because that isn't the only, you know, some people don't relate to that. I think a lot of women do. I definitely do. But the other aspect is when anger becomes a form of communication in families where everybody's yelling and that's just what they do. So the person, man or woman, but women learn this too, is that to get your point across, you have to be loud. You have to not give up. You have to blame the other person enough to get them to back down. And that's the other form of anger that, you know, these are women who are much more comfortable being angry, but they're more along the lines of the rager. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, there are definitely some families. I mean, I've had clients where they say, yeah, in my family, we yell and it's okay. We're Italian. We're this, we're that. I mean, there's a lot of different cultures that really support uh, communication where it's not necessarily healthy, but it's pretty out there. (laughs) It's pretty open. You're just like, boom, It, it flies out of your mouth without much thought. Now that you say that, I, I remember having a client who that was sort of the the setup that they would they would yeah. often say is, well, we're just Italian. That's what yeah. we do. But exactly. to your point, just because something's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But we have to we have to see it in our own life as okay, this really isn't working. Because in that family system, nobody's gonna want to change it. 
But as you move away from that family system in your relationship, you're probably going to realize, oh, my partner doesn't want to be yelled at. (laughs) And that causes problems. And that, you know, that's why I think it takes a while to uncover all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh my gosh, we're never done. I know we are never done. And I, I always say that's not to discourage people. I actually think that's to encourage people. Let's like throw away the finish line. Doesn't exist. It's not there. Right. But that's hard for the codependent. Because they yeah. want that award. They want that finish line to feel like, okay, I did it. Now I can go on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's part of recovery too, right? Until you get to the point where you realize you're right. <laughs> there is no finish line. I actually, that's something, Michelle, that I still have to work on mm-hmm. is my level of acceptance. We yeah. have, um, the, you know, the listeners probably know this, but just a personal story. We have two, I, I don't know why one decided to get two puppies. We have two puppies, not one, but two puppies. Yeah. One is in heat right now. So she's wearing a diaper. Uh uh (laughs) She has messed in her diaper several times. Um, it's, it's causing the male to regress. I mean, these, these puppies shell are like toddlers. They're literally Uh like toddlers. So the one, the other night (gasps) standing at our door at three and four in the morning, crying, crying, like wants to come in and snuggle with mom and dad. And as boundaried as I am, I am Uh relatively unboundaried with these dogs because I love them dearly. So I'm not getting my sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Window of capacity is, is, Uh, you know, lessening. And so the other day I woke up and I'm in the backyard with my cup of coffee, bare feet, dogs are doing whatever. And I'm grumpy because when I don't get my sleep, I'm grumpy. And the word came to me, just acceptance, mm. acceptance. You don't have to do a hardcore workout today. Your body isn't feeling it. It's tired. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe you can do a couple things and maybe you can just go for a nice gentle walk. Yeah. That sounds mm. really good. And maybe mm-hmm. you're not going to get all of those things done that you had on your to-do list at the beginning of the week. Right. Is that okay? Yeah. You know what? That actually is okay. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And I woke up today. I did get a full night's sleep last night and I feel like a whole new woman, mm-hmm. but that word acceptance, I think is something, especially like you said, as codependence. Yeah. That's a toughie. Cause we want to fight and resist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And we don't want to accept people for who they really are. We want to fix it, change it so that we're comfortable. and you know, that's not really healthy either, but we have to also come to terms with that eventually to realize that, yeah, I really can't control my son or my husband or my wife or whoever it is. Yeah. Oh, it causes so much dysfunction in our relationships too, mm-hmm. when we're trying to fix and right. manage other people. Right. Well, it provokes anger. Yeah. <laughs> so if we don't start to tap into this healthy anger, mm-hmm. What happens as a result? What are some of the signs that you see? Of unhealthy anger or? Well, just continuing to stuff and suppress. Oh yeah. Well, you are much more likely to have a rageful incident that will shock you where you might throw something, you might hit a wall, you might do something very uncharacteristic because it's like the volcano, right? It fumes, it fumes, it fumes, and then it just gets so hot that you have to do something. Mm. Also, people have health problems over this. They can have high blood pressure. They can have heart disease. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, research showing that people who stuff their anger and have and have anger issues can get sick more 
because they're not letting that flow of energy out. So it's holding on, holding on, holding on. And of course, that's going to create a lot of tension. And when you have a lot of tension and stress in your life and you're not releasing that, that can cause sickness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that 150%. Yeah. So for those of us and for the listeners who have been conditioned to be the nice girl, to be the good girl, how do Mm -hmm. we move from that to starting to dip our toe in the water of Mm -hmm. expressing our anger, feeling our anger, releasing our anger? Well, so it really starts with gauging your emotions, like literally today, take your emotional temperature throughout the day, one to 10. One is you're really low stress. Everything's good. Four to five. Eh, I'm starting to get upset. I'm well, three to four is usually I'm starting to get upset. I'm, I'm noticing some muscle tension. Four to five is usually when, okay, I know I'm upset. And now I have the choice. I'm cussing on losing control and starting to yell, starting to snap. So even if you're not comfortable and these people aren't going to necessarily verbalize their anger yet, I want them to take their temperature silently so that they can start to notice when their emotions start to climb or their stress level starts to climb because they may not relate to the word anger. That's totally okay. If you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not angry, then rate your stress because the stress reaction is the same in the body as anger. It's that fight flight reaction. So if you can start to go, oh, I'm a four, or when I get home, I'm really grumpy. You can use use that word, grumpy. Do you get grumpy? Do you get irritable? Do you get annoyed? Do you get frustrated? All of those are forms of anger. And if you can start to label that yourself, then the next step is to actually do something about it. And if again, if you're not willing to say it in the moment to the other person, go take a walk. Go do some journal writing. Journal writing is great for anger because you can give the uncensored version on the page and it's not going to hurt anybody. But you're going to start to realize, oh, wow, what my husband just said to me, I had no idea made me that mad. But as I'm writing it, I'm realizing, yeah, that goes back to childhood or that goes back to other things he said that I have never spoken up about. So It really is taking your temperature and then creating some kind of mini plan to take care of yourself around it. You don't have to talk about it yet if that's too big a step. It really can be part of self-care and what you do to take care of your own emotions. I absolutely love that. It's such a practical and Mm -hmm. simple tool to go, okay, one through 10, where am I mm-hmm. at on the spectrum here? Such yep. a good way to check in with yourself. And I love that you shared the different variations of anger because yeah. I often say I walked around irritated. I swear Michelle for 38 years. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like that was my go-to was this low mm-hmm. level irritation. And I remember, I remember my mother, she still does this always walking around. <sighs> yes. Yep. Like this. It's sort of a, a, I don't know if you'd call it a frustrated irritation, low level anger, yeah. somebody pay attention to me, victimy, all of that probably comes aggressive. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. So part of yeah. that was what I saw and what was modeled for me. But I think part of it too was, um, you know, just not really knowing how to, I, I wasn't even giving a, a word 
to that. Right. right. I didn't realize. Right. And how could you? Because if, if she was sighing and giving a very indirect form of her anger, you're left to make up, okay, what is that? What does that mean? So you just repeat it. And emotionally, it's the same experience, but you don't really understand what it's about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Michelle, what was your turning point? How did you set off on your, on your journey of healing codependency and expressing oh. healthy anger? Well, I think the codependent part was I was in food addiction recovery for 13 years and I realized my relationships were not where I wanted them to be. And I finally was willing to say, okay, I need another layer of the work. I was doing codependency work, but I wasn't doing 12 step work. And so I finally conceded and said, okay, I'm doing Al-Anon. Um, and I think actually around the same time, that's when my resentments were really high because I kept thinking if only I had better friends, <laughs> I would be fine. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't attracting better women. And it took me a while to realize, okay, Michelle, it's really about me. It's not about them. And I had to slowly look at where I was being dishonest. And that was kind of the start of my anger of, wow, I am holding on to so much that my conflicts weren't doing well. I was definitely avoiding the people I was upset with because I didn't have any tools and it was way too scary. So that was, that was really, for me, the starting point of just realizing it wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. What did your boundaries look like? If you don't mind me asking, since this is a show about boundaries. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have any. Um, but I think the first one that I realized was I was saying yes a lot to things that I really didn't want to do. Uh, somebody would ask me for a favor. Or somebody would at church would say, hey, can you do this? And really inside, I'd be like, oh, I'd have that gut reaction. And eventually I realized, okay, I'm going to start playing with this. I'm going to start saying no. And you know, the other person didn't die. They didn't care. They were like, oh, okay. I'm going to go on to the next person and ask them. Yep. It was no big deal. So that was kind of the start of, oh, holy cow, I can actually say no and protect my time and energy. And that was super powerful for me. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So bringing this a little bit into the boundary framework, because I see, mm -hmm. I, I see almost everything as a boundary. It, oh it's yeah, weird, but I can it, totally I, see I, that. Right? Yeah. So you shared with us the scale, the spectrum of one mm -hmm. through 10. I almost see that as a boundary with, with, with your anger, maybe like not being so uh -huh. entangled and enmeshed. Cause when we're so enmeshed with yeah. our anger, that's when we go, Bleh! you know, and then we're next thing mm -hmm. you know, we're stabbing somebody's eyeballs out of their head and you know, right. what did we just do? <laughs> so setting that internal boundary by using mm -hmm. that scale might be a really great way to push that pause button. Yeah. Well, and I kind of see now that you're saying boundaries, like to me, it's about separating my energy from your energy. Cause if you're the one upset, I have to be mindful to not take on your upset. And then if I'm upset, I have to be mindful not to overstep into somebody else's physical boundary. Because if I'm really raging, right, and I'm too close to you, your eye contact is going to avert away. You're going to back up. You're going to start to recoil because you're not going to feel safe. So to me, that's a really important issue in anger. I love that you brought that up. And honestly, sometimes I have people imagine like an uh, invisible wall 
made of brick, made of plastic, made of cement, whatever they need so that they the other person's energy doesn't go into them because that can be really toxic. Yeah. Yeah, especially for some of us empaths. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are some of us who just feel, you know, we walk into a room right. and we just feel what other people are feeling. Right. And it's automatic. And if, and sometimes though, if we know we're going to be around a person who's more intense, I would literally walk in and go, okay, I'm going to have a boundary here so that I protect my heart. And that energy is not going to go into me. And I'm going to let them have their energy because I don't need it. And I don't need to fix it. I need to change it. I may need to back up physically. I may need to leave the room if it gets really hot. But that's the boundary we have when someone else is angry. Angry is we really have to be mindful of the physical space because I think that can get really, um, that can really escalate a situation if we're too close because then we're we're not thinking clearly because we're in that, you know, intense rage and we can't separate our experience from their experience. Yeah. Yeah, this this question that's coming to mind right now is a little off course, but yet I don't actually mm-hmm. know that it is. So I'm going to ask it, see what you think. Sure. What might be the connection between mm-hmm. passion and anger? Mm. Like feeling passionate yeah. about, about yeah. Um, your leadership or feeling passionate yeah. about whatever you, your hobbies, your, mm-hmm. and anger. I know there's, I know there's a connection yeah. there. Well, I think passion is about you. You're talking about what you feel uh, really excited about. Anger, when it's intense and dysfunctional, is almost always about blame. You're doing something to me. Mm. Stop doing that. Because when we're angry, we don't, you don't typically hear somebody say, I'm really angry that you just called me a name. You don't yep. typically hear that. You stop yelling at me. Stop mm-hmm. doing that. Right. And, and we get the person who rages is entirely focused on what the other person is doing. And honestly, because we don't get to see ourselves in that moment, it is easier to focus on what the outside is doing because that's what we're looking at. But that's how you start to reverse unhealthy anger is to go, okay, wait a minute you know, what am I feeling and how can I express that without blame or shame? Yeah, I actually, and one of the things I love to say is this work is slow work. Yeah. And there's totally. times it can be speedy. There's certain yeah. moments where it can, we can have certain yeah. breakthroughs and ahas right. and start integrating right. very quickly. For the most part, I think this work is really slow. And there was an entire yeah. year where I committed myself to using I statements. Mm, uh-huh. Like that was the only, uh, you could call it, uh-huh. I don't know, it even goal. Would be a resolution or go, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But yeah, I really wanted to master. I feel because mm. I was so my communication was, I mean, it was gross. It was gross. Mm-hmm. And now having some nonviolent communication training under my belt, it was very violent. It was you mm-hmm. always yeah, you never, sure. can't sure. you see all you people in this house are taking advantage of me? Can't you right. see I'm so tired? You never step up and help. It right. was so disconnected. That's a word, disconnected, right. disconnected, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Certainly wasn't connecting me and helping my, in, my relationships be more intimate and deep and rich, right. which was what I wanted. And so for that year, I just committed to focusing on those I statements Mm. and I didn't always get it right. 
I didn't always nail it. And I kept trying. Oh, that's awesome. And let's face it, that type of communication is normal in this culture. It is. Yeah. And again, normal, not healthy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we wonder why so many of our relationships are so dysfunctional because, you know, when we show up, you always, you never, you should, you shouldn't. It's really putting us, I think, in the seat of victim. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, we really have to have compassion for ourselves because if we're raging, every time I work with someone who rages and I hear their story, it makes complete sense why they're raging. Exactly. So it's like, we have to have such compassion for ourselves that we learned this. This is not something we actively chose. You know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a rager. No, that doesn't happen. You know, we get formed early on itty bitty over time until you know, those patterns become set. Yeah. Yep. I like to say it's not your fault. It's your faulty conditioning. Ooh, I like that. Right. And now that you know, it is as an adult, your responsibility to do something to heal, Mm -hmm. even if it is just picking up a self-help book, leading into a podcast, whatever your, your means are that you can have access to whatever, do something, Mm -hmm. just do something. So you've already shared a lot of beautiful tips and tools along the way. I thank you so much for that. Is there any other little tips or tricks that you'd like to share in terms of, you know, just getting practical, helping people on their journey? Yeah. So if, because this question comes up a lot, what do I do when somebody else is angry at me? Because this can be really scary. And part of what I do is, well, first you got to breathe because literally like the minute you start holding on, that's when you're going to lose your center, but find one thing that they're saying that you can connect to and validate. Like, Mm -hmm. I totally understand why you're upset because this has happened before. Or yeah, I totally get it because your boss really has been riding you hard. Don't comment on the 80% that you disagree with that they're blowing up or that they're exaggerating. Focus on the one thing that you can go, yeah, that makes sense. Because what that's going to do with the angry person is that they're going to feel understood by that. And they're going to go, and that's that they may keep talking. They may still be animated and angry, but they're going to feel heard. And that's going to help them not take their anger out as much on you. Yep. That is key. Yes. And it's so powerful. I watch people just. Oh, I don't, the word isn't melt. I don't know what the word is when they've felt heard because it's creating safety. They relax. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember that was one of the first, it feels so good. That was actually one of the first tools we learned in coaching school. And I remember Uh sitting there thinking, I paid how much to learn how to validate somebody? Like, but I didn't understand the potency right. of it yet. Right. And right. then I started to use it and to see it. And I went, whoa, yeah. this is powerful. Well, and I think it's the simple tools that work that people remember. Always. You know, it, it's got to be simple. It's got to be doable. It's got to be something you can try today. Yeah. Well, when you're in that state of dysregulation, the right. last thing you need is a 25 step plan. Exactly. <laughs> it's not exactly. going to work. So a lot of these tools, you know, mm. I always say too, are great to practice when you're not dysregulated, when right. you're not activated so right. that when you're actually in that state of activation, your mind. Oh yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. A great point. 
Michelle told me on that podcast to breathe that I'm going to just breathe yeah. Right now. Yeah. As simple as that is, especially when someone else is angry, because it's so easy for us to glob onto that energy. So easy. Yes. Yeah. Well, Michelle, this was fantastic. Where can people find you? I know you've got a workshop coming up as well. So let's talk briefly about that, but where else can people find you if they want to know more about you and your work? So my website is counselingrecovery.com and my YouTube channel is Michelle Ferris relationship therapist. But if you Google Michelle, uh, Michelle Ferris, it's there. And uh, I do have a very popular four week calming your anger class on zoom I started it during the pandemic and boy, was the timing good. Yeah. (laughs) People were like rushing Yep. Um, because it's four weeks. You're in, you're out. You learn how to deal with your anger, how to communicate better, how to set boundaries and take care of yourself because that's also a part of anger management. So it's not for the person just who rages. It's the person who doesn't know how to manage their emotions, who tends to stuff. I, I tend to get a full array of people and both men and women. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes along with, you know, the other places that people can find you. Great. And I do have a free email course on anger if they want to kind of see how I work and, and if it's a good fit for them, because you can absolutely start making changes today with your anger. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we'll include the link for that as well. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. If you like this episode or you're a fan of the Becoming Boundaried show, the best way you can show your support is to share it on your social media outlets and with your family and friends. And if you're feeling really generous, we would love for you to hop on over to iTunes and give us a review. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of this community. Have an amazing week and as always, Stay true to you.